Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and welcome to Radio Brews News Revisited. Regular listeners will know that up until about a year ago, Brews News Week and Beer is a Conversation were one show. One day when I was going back to listen to an old episode, I had to wade through a bunch of out-of-date news to get to the conversation I wanted to hear. It was tiresome. And I also came to realise that it meant that some great conversations that we had had with some guests that were still relevant probably aren't getting heard because nobody else wanted to wade through the news either. So we split the news and conversation into two shows, and people have loved it, at least judging by your feedback. We're going to gradually go back and resurrect some of those old conversations for anyone that is interested. And we'll start with our 2014 conversation with John Hall, who we also spoke to this week. We chatted with John at Beervana, and beforehand I had posed a question to him. I asked him what would beer look like if it was invented for the first time today. I was pretty sure that no one would get excited about Corona if it was the first beer ever created and it was just launched on the market today. So I assumed that beer would look like craft beer, though I felt that because it hadn't been burdened by thousands of years of handed down culture and a lot of the current culture that we experience now, that that would be what would be vastly different. The thought really intrigued John. And by the time we met, he had already discussed it with such luminaries as Stan Hieronymus. And it must have stuck with him because he devotes a few pages to, to the discussion in his book, Think Beer, Drink Beer. Hopefully, you'll find the question interesting as well. I don't think we came to any solutions, but it was certainly a really, really interesting discussion. Anyway, enjoy your ride in the Wayback Machine as we catch up with John Hall, 2014. Now, John, the, the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about when we set up this interview was something that I'd been just thinking about for a little while and uh, look, looking at beer has a, a very long history, possibly not as long as wine and some of the more easily fermented beverages, but it, it, it's been around for a long time and a culture has built up around it that has evolved and been added to and bolted on um, o over thousands and, and thousands of years. It, beer doesn't have the same romance of wine. Um, it doesn't have the sort of tradition of things like uh, Scotch whiskey um, and it doesn't have that sort of gravitas of uh, something like Scotch whiskey. But with the flavours that craft brewers are bringing to it, I've been pondering if beer was invented for the first time today, if some marketers sat down, they wanted to create something that had broad appeal, that really captivated and was saleable and they called it beer, what would beer look like? And I, I, I sort of think that Craft brewers have pretty much shown us what beer would be if you want. Corona would not excite a market. It would not be um, what beer would look like. I've got this thesis that craft beer is what beer would look like, but the culture around it would be a little bit different. We wouldn't use giant shaker pints, for example. We wouldn't use, you know, we wouldn't be selling it in a bucket of beer. We would be looking at something that was maybe a little bit more flavour-based and less uh, uh, about volume. Um, what, what do you think? If, if beer was invented today, where do you, how do you think it would look? So I've, I've been giving this a lot of thought because I, I really find this to be a fascinating question and it's one that we don't really challenge ourselves uh, to, to think about all that often. And so let, let's just assume that if, if it was created that it would be a beverage of some kind. You know, so then what would the, the ingredients 
of that beverage be made up of? You know, what would beer be, at, 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 you know, in, ingredients-wise? And so if you wanted it, uh, you know, alcohol-wise, you'd have to have some sort of fermentable sugars and yeasts. So, uh, so you'd need, you know, some sort of fruit or some sort of... Uh, malt in order to do that. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, and uh, I, I guess we already have that. That's wine, and so if wine was existed, so if, if we decided to sit down and we had all of this grain and we wanted to create a grain-based beverage, call it beer, um, would it would it be different to what we now regard as beer now? I think so, and and this is what I think would be absolutely different. I don't think hops would come into play, at least not at first. And because when when you think about it, what is hops used for? Its, its main purpose on this planet is the production of beer. So if beer was created today, we'd have to jump in our time machine, and while there would be wild hops probably growing somewhere out in the wild, we would not have hop farms, and we would not have uh, production, and we would not have uh, the knowledge of its oils and aromatics. And so I don't think that if beer was created today, that at first uh, it would have uh, hops in it. I mean that that's just my that's just my general thought, and uh, yeah, I was talking to Stan Hieronymus, who's a journalist in the United States, who wrote a fascinating book on hops about this, uh, and and I said, you know, this this is what I'm thinking about answering this question. What do you think? And he agreed with me, and he says, but you have to figure that there are wild hops that are out there, and that some uh, after a while, some uh, industrious brewer would get around to adding it into a beer or adding it into a beverage. And would it take off at that point? Uh, you know, who knows? But given that with our beer scene, as we know it these days, that brewers will put anything into a beer, uh, you get to a point that uh, if beer is invented today, that, yeah, somebody might find some wild hops and throw it in there just to see what it does. Add it to the boil, see what it does. That's actually fascinating. Cause I, 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 again, whilst I've been sort of pondering it and thinking about it, I, I'd never actually considered, well, if, if you're using malt, it's not an automatic... You know, hops weren't used for the first thousand, a couple of thousand years, and it was only uh, you know a, a thousand years ago that, amidst all of the botanics that had been thrown in to balance the, the, the sweetness and provide a preservative effect, hops were found, and it was as a preservative, not as a flavouring element, is, is, is as I understand that hops were were used for. So, um, beer would be looking a little bit different. So we've aut- automatically taken this much further than than I thought. So. So taking that to the next level, we've, we've now decided, well, Matt, you've, you've broadly declared that Corona perhaps would not be, it <laughs> would not be what, what, but my argument is because you're talking about, because that wouldn't excite a marketer. But the reality is that in the Australian beer market where the entire craft beer uh, segment is less than 2% and Corona is 5.6% as a, as a single standalone brand. Um, which it makes me vomit in my mouth just a little bit, even just to, to say those figures. But that tells me, damn what the marketers think, the accountants must love Corona. But that, see, see to me, Corona is the evolution of beer. It's a downward spiral of beer. And we, we've had this product that has gradually had more and more and more, and more taken out of. And if you're going to invent ice cream today... I don't think you would invent vanilla ice cream. Vanilla ice cream is the one that, you know, as, as, as you're looking for a bigger and bigger, we've got this great thing called ice cream. And rum and raisin ice cream, chocolate ice cream, coffee ice cream, all of these things are fantastic. But what happens when people don't like coffee? What happens when people don't like rum? Um, you need to take those flavors out. And vanilla is the downward spiral. And Corona is as well. You, you wouldn't start the market with, you, 
cheese wouldn't have started with craft cheese singles um, or cheese in a can. Beer doesn't start with Corona. It is the sort of reverse evolution of, of, of the product. But see, what I find interesting about the way that you pose this question of if marketers came up with the idea of beer today, I, I would say that if marketers came up with it, they would try to find uh, the, the product that appealed to the most amount of people. If a, if a small brewer, if somebody, you know, uh, some weird guy in his garage came up with the idea of beer and then shared it with somebody else who decided that this is what it would be, I, I think it would be that way. But I think that... Uh, from a marketing perspective, it, it is uh, profit-driven, and it's what kind of products can we put out onto the market uh, to appeal to the most amount of people for the most amount of money that that, that we can earn. So um, I think that that that's the that you know if if a marketer came up with the term beer today, I, I I think I would argue that we might have something like a Corona, and then that would be the base to grow from there. Then you'd get the artisans who would come in and say. Um, you know, well, Corona is fine, but let's see what happens if we put chocolate in this, or let's see what happens if we bourbon barrel age it, or let's see what happens if we, and you can go on from there. So I think that that would probably be the starting point, and then it would get better from there. I don't think we'd automatically start off with an ultra premium luxury product, uh, you know, like a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. Um, you know, that, that, that's just my, you know, but it's a fun conversation to have. And it is fascinating, and I guess you know it blows my mind to even sort of think, well, beer wouldn't have hops in it. So what would we use to balance the sweetness? Because that's one of the things that makes beer what it is. It is it's the balance between the sweetness and the you know the sweet and sour. But in this case, it's the sweet and the bitter. Um, you know, would we make a chocolate? Would beer have chocolate in it? So the cocoa providing the bitterness, or would beer have coffee in it to provide the bitterness? And it's yeah, it's fascinating to think about. The one thing that I do think about is that we wouldn't be serving beer. No one would sit down and create a, a product that automatically alienates 50% of the population. Um, and by that I mean women, um, who tend to, to look more for flavour and less for bitterness. And I, um, I, I explain it this way, that beer has, these, has, has all of these subtle um, you know, sexisms uh, about it um, and, and not just the overt sexisms of Budweiser commercials or in our case Forex Gold commercials that just sort of uh, you know, women in bikinis but I don't know anyone uh, male or female that like their first sip of beer because it's bitter and doesn't have you know, most mainstream beers that we, we first tried um, are bitter without much flavour and it's an acquired taste and in a masculine world uh, where blokes drink beer women drink coolers or something like that you're expected to drink beer so there's almost a, a, a cultural male imperative to drink beer and acquire the taste um, and it's only now that we, we're seeing craft beer that has a lot of flavor that that's when women are deciding hey you know th there is actually flavor in this that I like and I love the uh, the, 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 the beer and food pairing and and that's bringing 50% of the, the, the market in if you stripped away if you were creating a product that was going to appeal to everybody, you would have flavour and not just the, uh, the the bitterness it had to be used to. But you probably also wouldn't serve it um, in giant pint glasses. That um, you know, women, for example, um, with smaller hands. And I, we're walking through a minefield. I know that. I know that. 
it's not a qualitative thing, but women have smaller hands. <laughs> and you guys are tiptoeing away from... This is no disrespect to you guys. I'm just glad my wife doesn't listen to your show. Um. <laughs> Does she have big hands? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my wife drinks a lot of beer, um, and she drinks beer with a lot of flavor um, to it. But that, and, and, and that's the point, that, that women have tended to shy away from the, just the naked bitterness of beer, but as soon as you give them something that's got genuine flavor, there seems to be no barrier to it. You know, this, this just goes into a larger conversation, though. If we're talking about how larger brewers don't necessarily market to women because of the bikini babe ads and, and all of that other stuff, they are paying attention to women in the marketplace these days. And in the U.S., we're seeing a lot of the larger brewers buy or create smaller niche specialty brands uh, that are appealing to women. Uh, so there, there's a brand in the U.S. called Blue Moon, uh, owned by Miller Coors. And they have these really nice ads. Uh, it's a, a television advertisements where it's 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 a uh, it's almost like a human painting. So um, uh, it's all done in watercolor and and ink and pen, and it, it, it's very well done. And at the end, it says "artfully crafted." That's their tagline. And every time that TV commercial uh, finishes, my wife says, "I that makes me want to have one of those beers." And that's that's it right there. So you know, it's not necessarily the craft segment. Uh, it's you know they're, they're, the 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 ones that are paying attention to um, to all beer drinkers, not just men or women, but all beer drinkers and all potential beer drinkers. I think are going to be the ones that uh, continue. Yeah. In that vein, John, and yeah. we're we're talking about um, that the hypothetical of beer being invented today, and we have to accept that you know when beer was invented. There was no social media, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no advertising, no mass marketing. And in, so in, in, in the respect of, um, and I think, uh, was it either Garrett Oliver or maybe Sam Calagione, I think, coined, uh, sort of described it as, you know, stop drinking what your television tells you you should be drinking and, and, and listen to your, your, your palate. Today, would, uh, if, if beer was invented today, would it be not necessarily um, the product itself, but would it be, like you say, the Blue Moon marketing? Because I know well, I mean, Matt and I recently had some Blue Moon sent to us for, um, for tasting you know, as, as, as media sort of people. And I'd had it in the States and I'd had, I think, Shock Top is the AB InBev version, a similar kind of, you know, sort of, I guess faux craft or, or, or trickery or, you know, clever marketing, however you want to describe it. So if beer was invented today, would there actually be this kind of, um, I guess, a social media or almost like a viral marketing campaign to get people, in, you know, to get the buzz and then the product would come out? And if so, would it almost be, not bullshit, but would it be, you know, I, I call shenanigans. Like, does, would, would there be... And uh, I guess an underlying, oh, this is this is going to be really funky and really interesting, but then it turns out to be a watered-down version of cool and funky. I, I, I think it would be advertising, you know, and if advertising is done well, it makes people want to buy a product. Whether or not the product is good or the product is, uh, uh, yeah, that's, it, it, you're right, it's almost irrelevant. If the marketing is good, people will buy it and they'll make a lot of money and if after a while they're not making as much money well then they stop 
advertising that product and then they come up with a new product and they move to the next one. So, um, yeah, I mean, that would be a very curious thing to see if beer is created today. I, I, the marketing would be a very huge part of it. Because um, again, if we're if we're coming from uh, the standpoint of if marketers came up with this, well, that's a money-driven business. It's going to be a company where it's a money-driven business, so they're going to want to get as much out of it as they possibly can. Okay, if we can just shift away from the if beer was created today, then um, and move towards if you could change one thing about beer, what would it be? Um, you know, assuming we've had the eight ten thousand years of beer evolution. But there was an aspect of beer that you don't like. Um, what would you change? For me, it would be the perception of beer as a weapon of mass consumption, that the best beer is something you can drink by the six-pack purely for refreshment. You serve it in a giant glass. I would love to see um, two or three sitting around a table with one bottle of beer, um, sharing it in three glasses, tasting it, moving on to the next one. So it's not just one beer all night. We have a, a, a progression of... Um, you know, like a 330 mil bottle, or a, 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 I'm not sure what that is in ounces, John. But yeah, and and it would be much more like the tapas approach to eating for for beer. So that would be what I would change. I have no. I see. Oh, you're lucky. You got to sit this one out. Um, I don't know what what I would change. I mean, there, there's there's a couple of different things that come to mind about the beverage itself. Uh, I, I think I would agree with 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 marketing it or having it viewed as something as solely a tool to become intoxicated. I think that that needs to change, uh, and that's something that that's a yeah, that's something that I would like to to see see that change as well. But. Again, you know, we're already seeing that with the smaller brewers as well these days, where it really is about the flavor, it's about sipping. Um, you know, if, if, if you get a little bit of a buzz on, well, that's a happy accident, and don't do anything stupid. Um, you know, don't go driving, don't go do anything like that. But, but if, you, if you have a little bit, um, you know, that, that's an okay thing, but don't have, you know, one more after that, or don't have ten more after that. And I think that that's the culture uh, that we've seen, and I'd like to see that change. He says, as we sit above the crowd at a beer festival, you know, just don't get the buzz on, but don't go beyond that. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but incidentally, and, and I can put my hand on my heart and say without any sort of word of a lie that we haven't staggered out of, that's just our approach. And we, we had a bit of a chat off air um, that beer festivals aren't where we would choose to spend our time if it's not work as, as much as anyone sitting at home might go, yeah, sure. I've had worse jobs, but it is still work. And having to sit here, I, I, I want to stay sober so I can continue to work and continue to have, have the conversations that we're having now. I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, in this job, we travel a lot, we meet a lot of people, you drink a lot of beer. Um, there, there's something that's frustrating if you go overboard uh, and, and we all have, and I have certainly, um, of you know, losing productivity the next day uh, through a hangover. Hangovers suck. I mean, the, the older I get, you know, it, it's just the, the more, or, you know, the less and less I enjoy them and the harder and harder it is to recover from them. It's no longer a badge of honor. It's more like, as it, you know, maybe it's when you were a kid. Now it's like, wow, I was kind of an ass last night. And, uh, and that's the other part of it as well is that uh, for us as professionals, which I know people always chuckle when we say we're beer professionals. Um, you know, you don't want to be perceived as the drunk guy. You don't want to be the drunk guy. Um, and I think that it's easy for a lot of people to see us uh, that way of like, oh, wow, you have a cool job. You must be drunk all the time. It's like, no, 
because I still have to write a story and I still have to like go to the next place and interview somebody coherently and pay attention. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. It's I don't know if we're even on topic anymore, but that's something I wanted to get off my chest. John, beer is a conversation. We're always on topic. Now, but and, and what you were describing isn't a professional beer writer. You were describing Spuds McKenzie. <laughs> you know that poor dog. That poor, poor dog, you know, he just wanted to take a nap in like a sunspot in the middle of the afternoon and all they do is put a Hawaiian shirt on him and, you know, funnel beer down his weirdly shaped nose. You know, that poor guy, that poor, poor guy, animal cruelty. Plus they made him drink like Bud Ice or something, right? You know, it's, uh, yeah. (laughs) The SPCA should have been right onto that much, much earlier. So, uh, anything you want to say, Prof? Anything you, we, we have the, uh, the editor of uh, the, the world's leading beer magazine. We established that right at the start. What would you like to ask him? Well, even just on that last topic, um, it's not necessarily something that I would want to change about beer, but something, I guess maybe like you talk about the perception. I think if, if there was one thing that I could, um, I guess, influence, it would be getting people to consider this product in the same way that they consider milk and not long life tetra pack you know on the shelf milk but um keep it fresh like drink it drink it fresh keep it cool keep it dark and i know that probably uh, i guess alienates a lot of the the brewers who do want to send their beer into 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 wider markets um and it, and it does it, it kind of goes against that grain but i think if we use that as a starting point then i think we change the perception for i guess the the mass consumption beer drinkers to say, okay, so a clear glass bottle that should be a warning, not a, not a beacon. Uh, and I, I think that that's the one thing that that I guess I'd I'd change. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about, John, is uh, one of the things I always read in all about Beer Magazine is the ever increasing number of craft breweries. You know, there's what 2,500 there now, a thousand, three thousand, and a thousand in planning that that, that we know about. What is the future of craft beer? And, and uh, look, we're going to have a whole podcast on the the craft beer bubble. But um, what do you think is the future of craft beer? Will they all survive, or will we see an, a hyper local, maybe a, a, a regional um, aggregation, and then it's still a couple of national players with that have been added to by the um, Sam Adams and the, the Sierra Nevadas? Or what, what, what's your um, tea leaf reading of uh, the, the the craft beer market? This, this is the fun part of the job now where, you know, it used to be as a journalist, it's just you deal with facts. And now as an editor, you, you deal with theories, which is very strange. Um, I think the first thing that we all have to recognize is that, yes, with 3,000 plus breweries in the U.S. and 1,000 more on planning, there are going to be some that close. That doesn't necessarily mean that the trend of beer is coming to an end. It just means that in business... Sometimes businesses close. So we can't take into account of like, oh my gosh, you know, and I don't think, you know, somebody closed, it's the sign of the next beer apocalypse. I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and I also don't think that we're going to see the mass closures that we once did. Um, what I do think that we will see is that uh, the larger uh, uh, craft breweries will become larger and they will continue to grow. Uh, and they will continue to bring new people into the fold. They will be, uh, for the new generation of beer drinkers, um, the stalwarts, the old guys, the big guys, as it were. Um, And we will see a lot of hyper-local. And I love that. I think that that's really cool. I want to be able 
you know, where I live in uh, in New Jersey in the States, just outside of Manhattan, uh, I live in a town or a city of about 200,000 people, and we don't have a brewery yet. And that bothers me to no end that we don't have a brewery yet. We have breweries in Manhattan, and we have breweries in the suburbs, and I, I can. it's not hard for me to get local beer. But I would love to be able to walk down the street and into a brewery and get good, fresh local beer. And every time that I travel, if I'm in a new town, I always find the, the closest brewery if I can, and I go and I drink there. And other people do that as well. But it's not just a tourist thing. It, they're, they're good stewards of the community, and they're good... Um, uh, uh, champions of small business and and good well made products and so if a brewery makes stuff well uh, and stays local and can make enough money to support themselves and their employees and 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 grow their business a little bit, I think that that's the model that I would like to see and that we will see uh, happening in the next couple of years. It'll be a trend towards local. It won't be oh I'm going to open up a brewery and I want to be in 50 states by the end of two years. No, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to be in my town and maybe the next town over, and that's okay by me. And that's something that is a philosophical change for a lot of brewers these days, uh, but one that if, if they can embrace that and hold on to it tightly, um, I think it's going to do really well for them in the long run. So that, that's what I think we're going to see is hyper-local. I don't think we're going to see a lot of breweries shut down because of uh, a losing or, or, or failing beer trend. Uh, I think that you know we'll, we'll, we will see the trend towards local. We'll see the trend towards session beers um, uh, in the hopefully four percent or less range is uh, how I would like to see them uh, in the next couple of years. We'll see more restaurants um, add brewing systems to their uh, uh, to their, uh, uh, their their what's the word that I'm thinking of their their establishments. And then finally, um, I think we'll see a lot more canning as well. Uh, uh, breweries are going to embrace canning uh, even more as a packaging. So, I'm always conscious of being the the naysayer or the negative guy, and, and I love beer, and I want to. And, and the, the thing for me is that I'm trying to work out in my head how to make craft beer stay around because that, I love beer, and that, and that's what I got into it. But I just heard you describe your hyper local, and I just think back to, for example, reading about uh, Anheuser Busch. Um, there was a great biography about the, the, the five generations of uh, the, the, the Bush family and how they were one of a local German brewers and they uh, got better at sh- shipping their beer to the next city. We've, we've completed this giant mega cycle where we've come back to hyper-local and that yet as, as one, brewery grow, one hyper-local brewery grows a little bit bigger, they can sell their beer cheaper and they can move their beer efficiently to the next town at a cheaper price and, and and put that next brewery's town out of business because they were able to sell it cheaper. And, you know, yes, at the moment we're all excited about local produce and all of those sorts of things, but isn't that just part of the cycle and we are just going to see a, a growth of a whole new range of beer barons? I, I, and I think we are seeing a, a whole new range of the beer barons in the U.S. right now. Um, and barons is such a, 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 a weird uh, term to use, but... Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada, Jim Cook from Boston Beer, Kim Jordan and, and the rest of the folks at uh, uh, New Belgium, and more and more and more, Tony McGee at Lagunitas. I mean, they, they, these are very large companies. Uh, these people are worth many, many millions of dollars. Uh, Forbes now says uh, that Jim Cook is probably worth a billion dollars. Um, I mean, with a B. And that is, that, is, that is big money right there. That is big money right there. Um, but, you know, so... so yeah, the, the, the big guys will get bigger. And yes, it is. Uh, it, it, if it is in your business plan saying we want X percent of growth every year, that we want this, this, and this, 
that's great. But I think that a lot of the brewers that are coming into it these days say, listen, if I can you know, be on tap at uh, 50 pubs in my town uh, or 50 pubs within a 20-minute radius where I know everybody who's serving my beer and I can make money and it's fresh, that's good enough for me. And that's their business model. And then if they pass on the business, uh, the business to, for now, for now, and, and that's... But, but again, you can never predict like how some people are gonna, you know, react. And if they do become really popular, and investment comes by, and people say, "Well, hey, we want to give you a ten million dollar investment to grow your beer," maybe you reevaluate, uh, you know, your stance. Or maybe, and I've heard from brewers who have done this, they said, "No, thanks, we're happy with where we are." And then that person takes his money and goes someplace else to another brewery. That brewery grows. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. Um, you know, it, it, so it, it's. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It really is just a brewer's philosophy, and then seeing if they stay true to that. And yeah, and again, don't, don't be the nice way, but you, that, that, that's the use of here. Uh, everyone says, and it, it, it's fascinating to see as the Sam Calagiones and the uh, you know the, the, the big brewers who ten years ago, and, and I guess you, you need to have a little bit of historical perspective um, on, on the industry, and, and have, having gone back and seen what these people said ten years ago when they were first started, and they. We're small, we're proud, you know, we're fighting the big guys. As they become bigger, their song changes a little bit and they start complaining about these small, hyper-local Pico brewers that are taking taps off them who are making vanity beers and aren't uh, interested in uh, building a a long-term business. And they're taking... We've invested in stainless steel. These guys are just home brewers in their garage and, you know, if there's a 1,000 Pico brewers, they're taking a 1,000 taps off us. And it's just interesting to how the dialogue changes as you grow. And uh, also, as, as we're going to see the end of a generation of brewers. So if I own a brewery um, that I've created in my 30s, build it for 15 years, and I'm starting to think about retirement. I don't. Maybe my kids don't want to follow in. What's the outcome? So we are still so early in. We're in a nascent industry, and it's when we start seeing generational change and, you know, the, the um, adventurers of the craft beer market start to reach seniority and then start thinking about exiting I, I think that's when we're going to start to see a, a real pressure on, on, on some of this, we're all in it because we love beer, we, we, we love what we do we're a brotherhood of brewers You know, the, the thing that I'll say is if, if, if the, the larger brewers are worried about the smaller brewers taking their taps or you know the bigger craft brewers are getting nervous about the home brewer that opened up and, and are taking the taps. It's not, by the way, the smaller brewers that are taking the taps. It's the consumers. And it's the consumer demand saying, I choose this beer over this beer. And if a brewery's been around for 20 years and they're now starting to get eclipsed in a certain market by a smaller local brewery or smaller brewery from someplace else, that larger brewery really needs to sit and take stock of well, why is our beer not selling as much these days? Or how come people choose this beer over over that beer? And this is when it becomes a business and they have to take a hard look at their numbers and take a hard look at themselves. It's like, well, when we were doing 100,000 barrels, uh, you know, we were doing this with our IPA, but now we're making 250,000 barrels and we've tweaked our recipe a little bit and, you know, it still tastes good, but it's a little bit different. Maybe the consumers have noticed that, you know? Maybe you didn't think that the consumers would... So that's that's just one uh, thought on that. Yeah, and we're seeing the first generation of, of the brewers in the U.S. Uh, age out, uh, retire. Um, some are selling to larger companies. Uh, some are going employee-owned. 
uh, selling the company to the employees, which was very cool. Some are passing it on to the next generation. Um, the, the next five years for that, especially, are going to be very transformative. And who's to say that when, uh, you know, what any of the new owners will do? Um, if, if somebody founds a brewery, that is their passion. That is their baby, so to speak. Um, nobody else is ever, ever going to feel the same way about that business as the founder uh, themselves, especially if it's grown. So, you know, we might see breweries change direction or change ethos under a new generation. And even though it's, it's you know, somebody's kid, uh, the kid might feel a different way. And now if the kid's in charge, well, who's to stop the kid from, from doing something different or selling? or So uh, th the next five years on that are going to be very transformative. And, uh, you know, all of those are going to be very personal decisions by a lot of those brewers. And I'm not privy to those conversations. So, uh, uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. John, you've been incredibly generous with your time, given how busy, you've been incredibly busy uh, in your time in Wellington. Thank you so much for, uh, and, and being so forthright uh, and honest. Hopefully it's been an interesting discussion for you to have as well. Um, as, as we do say at Australian Brews News, beer is a conversation, and I tell you, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Pete Mitchum, thank you for joining us. John Hall uh, from All About Beer magazine. Just very, very quickly, um, those of us in the Southern Hemisphere can actually subscribe to All About Beer magazine. Yes, you can. Go to allaboutbeer.com and click on the subscription. And uh, uh, yes, subscribe, sign up. And if you have any problems, you can just contact me through the website personally, and I'll, I'll make sure that the subscription people take care of you. And can't recommend it enough. It is one of the few magazines that I go out of my uh, way to read every uh, month that it comes out, although I tend to get it six or eight weeks after the, the month. But, you know, fortunately, it's a five- or six-year cycle. Beer doesn't change too much. But, John, uh, thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Now every heart will start to tingle when sleigh bells jingle. Prof, there we go. Great to uh, it was great to re-listen to that. Good to relive it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and, uh, and it just it's just a, the nicest bloke. And like you say, it's probably nothing to do with the fact that he's you know like a a non-beer journalist um, by profession, but he certainly does bring uh, some colour and oomph and um, something I think that, that the beer some beer writers I think miss. Yep, and well, it's a certain gravitas. Gravitas. Uh, he's balanced. He's measured. He knows how to write, but he's very passionate about beer at the same time. So you know, it's a really nice uh, thing. So it was great to uh, chat to John. I've been following him on uh, Facebook, and he's in Belgium at the moment. So hopefully there'll be some uh, good stuff uh, coming out of that. He'll be making some interesting observations. Uh, jump on the All About Beer website. I often share. Um, uh, posts uh, on, on their Facebook posts. They post a lot of their articles, um, and I often share those on Brews News because it is such good quality content. Um, I highly recommend All About Beer magazine. But uh, anyway, Prof, great to uh, yeah. We we haven't been all that regular. We haven't posted all that often this year. But uh, the Brews News continues to go from strength to strength. I believe had over half a million page impressions this year. Um, you know, phenomenal, uh, the, the little site that could. We've got some interesting and uh, potentially exciting news for the site in early in 2015, so stay tuned for that, listeners. Um, but, you know, Pete, more than anything, it's just always good to uh, catch up with you, and uh, it's you know, my pleasure to, to work with you in the many different ways that we do. So, uh, you know, Merry Christmas uh, to you, belated Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, and I look forward to working with you in uh, 2015. Thanks.
Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. 